Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented by the Real Football Tonight podcast channel on YouTube. Uh, we are recording this on Sunday, January 21st. I realize this is my first official recording of a show in the new year. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Liverpool send a title message. Arsenal put five past Palace, boy, Uncle Roy, and Tony's triumphant return along with Foamgate. But first, what has happened to this podcast? Uh, I have eaten and lost two different episodes of this. I know you guys don't care, uh, but I have lost them, and I owe you guys two podcasts. I want to say first, I appreciate everyone who's ever listened to this show. This is a Premier League football podcast. It is a labor of love, a labor of passion, a labor of caring. I love doing the show. Uh, it's important to me, and I can already tell that I haven't lost the sound because I'm checking on live YouTube. So this will be a real episode. I probably have three weeks worth, but I'm going to focus on this one match week that just passed. We just had five games. This has been an extended match week 21. Uh, match week the, la the first five games were last weekend, then we have these five games, then we have another bit of a break for teams doing the FA Cup. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and try and recap the whole match week, then talk about the Liverpool, what it means, then talk about Arsenal, then talk about Ivan Tony, then talk about my favorite little player that nobody knows about that I love more than anyone should because I love crap football. Uh, so let's first go to the previous week. And I've talked about all these games. There are there are lost episodes now of the Squeaky Bum Time podcast that have been lost to the world. The Burnley-Luton game. I had a whole conversation about this. Chelsea's barely scraping by Fulham. I had a whole conversation about that, and I lost them. The amazing 3-2 Newcastle game that Chris covered on the Magpie channel. Chris covered extensively, and we did a little bit on the Monday show. I covered all these games on our Monday show, but that Newcastle City game was another statement of intent. Feels like we have statement of intent all the time. Then we had the nil-nil Everton Villa, the least worst talked about game. The 2-2 Man U Tottenham, which feels like three months ago. It was on my brother Etienne's birthday. Shout out to Etienne and his birthday. Uh, beautiful day for him. Uh, Arsenal, now we're into this week. So we had the five games last week. One, two, three, four, five. And now we're into this week. So we just had Arsenal beat Palace 5-0. Yesterday, Brentford in an amazing game with Ivan Tony winning 3-2 against the great and powerful Tricky Trees of Forest. We had today's game. with Look at those reds at the end. The game got nutty in the end for a 2-2. And then the great and powerful Liverpool winning 4-0 at Bournemouth. And we have a Monday game, Brighton Wolves. A sneaky good game that for the nerd core we will keep tracking on. But first, let us start with what we just saw, which was Bournemouth-Liverpool. Uh, a 4-0. Uh, look at the nice graphic. But I don't think that this 4-0 tells the whole story of the game. If you watched it, you know that the first half was very much a struggle and you felt like Liverpool were feeling the players they were missing. This is no Trent. This is no Salah. This is the kid midfield. We still had Van Dyke, but Bradley was in. I mean, when you have double-digit numbers in the high 80s on the bench. Look at these kids that Liverpool are playing. 40, Bobby Clark, Cade Gordon, Owen Beck, 
James McConnell, uh, Cameron Keller. I mean, we're in the high 40s and 50s here. So Liverpool going to the bench, but they still, the strength of this team from the beginning of the season has always been in the attack. Jota, Diaz, Nunez, Salah is the best front five you can have in world football. There's no team with this much depth. So Liverpool did rely on that. But the first half was really about Ariola's Brent Bournemouth. This is a team that had been winning seven of their last eight. A strong group with Sinistera. You can ask Chris about Sinistera. He freaking lit up um, Newcastle a few months ago. The move of Ryan Christie to a deeper role has unlocked this team. You went away from from um, from Philip Billing, who had been such an incredible midfielder, six foot five bossing. But Ariola knew what he wanted, and he went with Clivert and Solanke up front. Solanke, you ready for a piece of trivia? The top-scoring Englishman in the Premier League. You can look it up on 12 goals. So the first half was very much a Liverpool at its sort of shaky best on the road. They were struggling. Uh, they were getting they were getting played through. But as Liverpool is wont to do, they were pretty static up front. They were having a hard time finding the lanes. It was very much Jota here, Nunez there, Diaz there. Um, and they really weren't connecting with each other the way you'd expect a fluid Liverpool to find its feet. And in the second half, that all comes undone. And they get their flowing and they start to interchange. And I don't think Bournemouth is really ready for that level of movement. And we saw what real Liverpool can be when they start to move around and players start to go, oh, okay, we're here. This is who we are. Let's do the thing that we're supposed to do, which is interchange, move around, cause problems. And the goal that they score, the first goal from Nunez, is just an incredible moment. Um, the ball's popping around, slipping around. Uh, I think, you know, I think an underrated player for Liverpool, and we've said this a few times, is our man, um, Curtis Jones, makes the pass into um, Jota, who caresses it into Nunez, and the, the speed of the passing really got Liverpool, out of, got Bournemouth out of sorts. The goal goes in, and it kind of goes from there, and it's really the Jota show in the back half of the league. But that first goal and then the late goals, Jota, what a player. If you are a fan of this original Squeaky Bum Time podcast and the original love of Wolves under Nuno and the original Mike Salerno, we've loved Jota for a long time. There was a lot of love for Jota and Neto. And Jota is just, he's a poor man's Hinman son, a finisher of the top notch, a runner, a worker. You don't want him to be a primary, but on a lower team when he was at Wolves, he was their best player. But in this Liverpool side, when they had Firmino and Mane, he was a change of pace off the base, off the bench. And he still is not completely trusted to be like, hey, we're good. We're just going to go with Jota. He's got a little bit of injury problems, but when he's there, he is a top, top, top class finisher. Left foot, right foot, headers. If you give him a chance to shoot, he will score. I think he's got seven goals on 29 shots this season. So an incredible finisher who's lethal. He's a guy who scares you. When you watch Liverpool and Jota's bearing down, you're not afraid. You are really like, wow, this guy is serious. I think he's the type of player, like, if he was on 
someone like Brighton, he would score 25 goals because they would create so much for him. Or if this, if he was the center forward for Arsenal, he would score the goals they were missing because Jesus doesn't do it. So he's that type of, he's that level of finisher, but you know, he's sort of underrated. And I think like the narrative here, because this is how we do it, uh, whoever of the top teams has the best performance of the week is now the title contender. So, hey, thank you, friend. Thank you, friend. Big up, Laurent. Thank you, American Magpie and NYFC Insider. That is my friend, Mr. Chris, who has uh, helped me reinvigorate the podcast. So appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much for checking in. Um, but I will say that this is really Liverpool's moment. And I think there's a question that's going to be going on all season. It's whether this Liverpool needed to be buried and sort of go, hey, they're not ready. Um and, and will this fester into a classic Liverpool uh, versus Manchester City fight? It could. It might. I don't know. But the, the ingredients are there. These are, if you think about it in terms of City versus Liverpool, these are two teams that know each other. These are two teams that battle to the end. These are two teams that have traded the titles over the years, although City have the three in a row and are going for four. When, when Liverpool have dropped off, they've dropped way off. And when City dropped off, they just had the one season where they dropped, where they had really bad luck and lost their whole defense. It's sort of the way Liverpool had a bad season a few years ago as well. But I'm the first to admit, Liverpool could be with a few, I mean, literally centimeters of a ball. They could be going for their third title in six years and be one of the great Premier League sides of all time with the Champions League win already in that bag with the final against against Real Madrid already in the bag. So they went for their quadruple. They fell apart. City are now trying to struggle through their quadruple season where they are lacking. So, But Liverpool have reloaded. There's a little bit more youth in the side. They're bringing through Elliott. They're bringing through Curtis Jones. So this is a, a real challenge, and it's now time to see can they survive this period without Salah, and these are the types of games that Liverpool would draw. You know, they'd have a hard time. They were having a hard time, but it seemed in the second half they got going. Uh, I do want to give, you know, I love my crap teams. I think when I'm on the show with Chris, he's very much about just play the hits, which is fine, but this is my show, and I really like to talk about the smaller players, the smaller teams, uh, the players that are unsung, the players that sort of we forget about as we're looking at the top four and the big story, but this Areola team, uh, former NYCFC player, respect to the to the City Football Group, um, Areola. I really thought that the underlying numbers underneath this Bournemouth team the previous season were terrible. I didn't think that they added enough. Uh, I thought that Gary Neal, Gary O'Neill, had held this team together with spit and glue, and I thought it was really harsh that he got fired and they hired Areola. I was not familiar with his work in uh, La Liga. <laughs> I had heard he'd, he'd, he'd coached well and he brought the team up, etc. That kind of Eddie Howe, but from Spain. But Iriola being a, a Bielcisma follower, so he played under Bielsa uh, in, in Athletic Bilbao, and being part of the city football group, sort of getting that sort of look under Vieira when he was there early on. And what does that mean? He's got a philosophy and a type of play. And there's been a lot of good, interesting conversations coming out of the Bournemouth side where they are a pressing team. 
<laughs> Thanks, BJ. I love when you talk about smaller teams. That's how I gained my second love, the Brentford Bees. Same. There are so many good little teams that are out there in the league, and you should look for them because we can't always stay at the top of mind because it, it, it can get tedious. You've got to go deep. You've got to look for weird stuff. You've got to be mad about haircuts and really focus on Harvey Elliott's hair. And like, what does that mean? Why does he have a TikTok boy hair? Why does he have a jerry curl with blonde hair? It's really weird. And you have to go into the minutia. It's like uh, my friend Zach Lowe of ESPN, who always gets really deep into the NBA and starts talking about like the court patterns of like, what's the logo? Why is that there? What about this kit? What about this shirt? What about the mascot? So I like to go into the minutia. And when I think about Bournemouth, um, one of the players I think about is Ryan Christie, who kind of was miscast as a number 10. Uh, and they used his skill moving him back. I love this. It's the same thing Eddie Howe did. Saw a player in Joe Linton and said, hey, you're not a striker. You're an attacking, you're a bulldozing midfielder who can destroy people with strength. And here we see Areola going, you're not the 10 I want, Christy. You can't really press. You can't get about a pitched enough. But I can play you deeper so you can take the ball and turn and spray it wide so to get us going. Similar to what, um, similar to what Erickson can do when he plays deep for United. So these kind of hey, let me see what I have versus going, I don't have enough players. I don't have enough players. I'm looking at you, Antonio Conte. I'm looking at you, Jose Mourinho, who insists that the players have to be the ones you want. How about you take the players you have and make them better, like Ange Postacoglu, like Deserbi, like Iraola. You're not so fucking special, special one, uh, fired this week by Roma. Okay, so this game, what this means is Liverpool are there. Uh, and this is all we can ask about the big teams. This is all they ask for. They, when they when they interview Pep Guardiola, all he says is, we're there, we're there. Will we be there? Will we be there? And I think this is for Liverpool. They want to be there in the end. And this is a big game. For Bournemouth, this game doesn't hurt them. Um, this game puts them in a spot where they're okay. They're not going to go down. They look like they have another good coach. They still even have a little depth with Billing, who can change the way they play. They have, you know... Um, the crap version of Andy Carroll and Kiefer, Kiefer Moore, who comes off the bench. Shout out to the team for talking for calling Kiefer Moore a crap Andy Carroll. <laughs> There's no way Kiefer Moore has shagged as many birds as uh, Andy Carroll, who is an official lead shagger of all time. Okay, we go on to more games that j just passed, and I just want to talk about Arsenal. Um, Arsenal were buckling, were struggling, were in trouble. Uh, I think they still are in a little bit of trouble, but I think that this was a big game uh, for them. But they had it easy. If you want to go to a team that just gave nothing, uh, Crystal Palace was just, just what the doctor ordered. Uh, Gabriel with two-headed goals. Again, Arsenal weirdly can't create shit. They score most of their goals from set pieces, so they're lucky they have that. They got very lucky last year with the 15 goals from from Martinelli and 12 or 15 from Odegaard and 12 or 15 from Saka. This year, that's dried up. And so Martinelli, who scored two goals today in, in the last two minutes of the game, so this wasn't as bad. It just looked harsh at the end. Those are only his third and fourth goals of the year, and he's playing major, major minutes. Uh, I think what has slowed down the attack of Arsenal are these two players right here. 
Rice and Havertz. Rice is a better defender than um, than Thomas Partey. Far better, gets around. He's like having another center back. Def basically stops counterattacks by himself. And Arsenal's defense are better for it. But he is not the passer. He is not the turner and spread of a ball wide the way that Partey was. And Havertz is lost. Every time I watch Arsenal, I just watch Havertz the whole game. And he kind of just wanders around and doesn't really doesn't really put himself about. He kind of, you see him moving and he in some ways moves behind defenders. And then once in a while, a ball will come to him. He'll turn and spread it. I just, I just don't believe in him. Yes, he has five goals. Yes, he's talented. I don't like the body language doctor does not like Havertz. But that's not what this is about. This was about Arsenal getting the five goals getting it done performance not great that's fine even though they scored five goals i know it's weird to say the performance wasn't great even though they scored five goals but i still think they needed this win this keeps them in the battle this keeps their goal difference in a better place it is a performance that they needed they needed an easy game and i think ultimately they got one especially once the trossard goal went in on 59 as someone who is a City fan and has had a hard time with Palace, Palace do a little bit of a rope-a-dope. They will sit there and take beatings from you for quite a while, <laughs> and then eventually they will, uh, they'll they'll try and come into it. But this team is too good to be as bad as they are. Gahey and Anderson are fantastic center backs. Um, Eze is a legend. Tyreek Mitchell normally plays in a four. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking with five at the back. That's fine. Uh, Eze couldn't really affect the game. Marteta is really the weak spot. Um, they seem better with Ayu, but then Ayu can't score. They're just really having a hard time getting all their guys on the pitch all at the same time to do the things that they want to do. One of the things I always like about Palace, and this is just an aesthetic thing, I love that it's all either um, African English or Africans, and when they roll out their team in the blue and red, stripes with the sash and they're all black and they all have dreads it just looks cool i just something i love about it even though will hughes was on there and we rested up once will hughes comes out and they put their other guys in it's just cool to see an all black team it makes me happy <laughs> so uh i do love palace for that reason they've got a little bit of the streets about them but i do think um roy hodgson is in trouble um he seems to have <sighs> lost a little bit of the glimmer that came in after the Vieira thing, where Vieira clearly was a little bit aloof and kind of lost the team. And Uncle Roy had the soft and cuddly, like, get the handbrakes off, let the team play. But right now, Palace are in trouble. The fans are unhappy. Uh, they put up a banner, um, you know, saying, you know, bored out, uh, lost in, you know, lost on the pitch, lost off the pitch, you know, get the Yanks, get Parrish out. I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, they want to be angry, sure. They don't like where the club is going, but as far as I know, Parrish, who's the sort of front man, 10% owner of the team, Palace fan with the American backing, he's only kept this team in a division for 10 years. I think the issue is when you're in the Premier League for 10 years, you want to have a cup run. You want to push. You want to have something happen. And I think, you know, finishing between 15th and 10th for four years in a row, kind of sucks. Uh, we did see my friend Graham Potter in the stands. 
So that was something. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's up for the Arsenal job, but he feels like a proclamation project for this um, Palace team. So something to watch. Uh, I think that ultimately Palace, Palace are in trouble. I think Roy needs another performance. Uh, they have a game against Sheffield Wednesday, I think on Tuesday, next Tuesday, and that's a must-win. If Roy Hodgson loses that game, he's going to be fired uh, or asked to let go or, or whatever. I think there's a special relationship between Hodgson and the club. So it will be a, hey, you have to move on type thing, and it won't be too bad. But anyway. Okay, football. Sounds good. Yay, thanks, Johnny. Um, sounds good. Yay. I'm very happy that uh, that everything is live and working. So good to hear. Good to, good to have the news. But uh, for Arsenal, yeah, I think this is tricky. Uh, we'll go through the table later in the show. But for Arsenal, I picked them to win the league. Uh, I thought they were there. Um, I think that that moment, that blip, the Liverpool game, the two Liverpool games, uh, the West Ham game, where they had really good chances and didn't finish them and then ended up dropping points or losing, really hurt them really hurt them psychologically. I think they sort of went right back to April, especially the run of teams. You know, it was Fulham, Southampton, the same sort of group of teams, those sort of low block or same level as you, where you played really well, but then didn't get the results that you wanted. And then you're unable to get out of it. That same thing happening with the same clubs, I think really mentally put a hit on them. And so this is a good performance by them, but they've got to keep it going. They've got to get the goals flowing. They've got to get their predictability out of the team, change things up. Like last year it was the same 11, 11, 11. This year there's a little bit of change here and there, but come on, how, go again. Maybe maybe put Ramsdale back in. Just something to get the team different on a different brain length. Like they just need a little juju. Like put the dog on the pitch. I don't know. Arteta needs to change something because I think this... Havertz Rice Odegaard thing isn't working. Maybe go to 4-2-3-1 with an extra guy in the midfield with a little bit more defensive solidity. Let let Odegaard play as a as a 10 and kind of change things up. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but continuing to do the same thing and expect things to change, um, he's very much frozen. It's it's almost anti-Pep, the way Pep would change things all the time. Same thing is happening with Xavi. In Barcelona, these guys that are stuck in this sort of um, dogmatic ideologue way of how their team has to play, and they don't seem to be able to take on what Pep is sort of done. Pep changes all the time. A guy who played every minute one season doesn't play at all the next season. So how does Arsenal do that? How do they change the story? So that's what I'm curious about. I think that's really where Arteta needs to go. He tried it with Havertz. It's not working. You got to take him out. I think the best versions of Arsenal have Trossard because he's a finisher. That's just my take on them. I think you've got to see more Trossard. You've got to give Saka a blow just so he's not playing all the time. Maybe play Gabriel there. Maybe playing Ketia, Gabriel, and Trossard. Change it up. Make it crazy. Get weird. If you can't get weird, you're going to get lost. Uh, and that's kind of what you have to do in the Premier League. Okay. The other game that I really completely enjoyed that I thought was just a fantastic sort of bonkers dance party 
Wait, wait a minute. Hold on a second. What 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 did they do with this match week? They've they've tricked me and made it look weird. Yeah, this Brentford uh, three two one was just a dream to watch. Uh, all of it about Ivan Tony coming back in, Danilo getting the goal early on a really crap goal. Bunch of headed head hockey it's bouncing around in the box it's bouncing around multiple bounces then that lunatic danilo fires one in the top bins and forest take the lead at the g-tech and you're like uh-oh they are in trouble but not so fast ivan tony cometh the man cometh the moment all the betting all the cheating what a shithouser so here's the, let me do the setup so you get this foul on the edge of the box it's probably if i look at the team stats uh, I wonder if I can tell who it is. Maybe it's Damsgaard or Rosalev gets fouled on the edge of the box. And they're setting up the wall. And Brentford's getting it. I mean, and, and Nottingham Forest is getting it together. The magic spray is down. And Ivan Tony, when the ref turns his back to set the wall, moves the ball about six inches. Then the ref turns his back again. He grabs the foam and slides the foam over and the ball again. Then the ref blows for the free kick. The wall is clearly in the wrong place. And he just fires it in around the edge of the wall. And it was clear that the foot of space that he took gave him the foot. It literally just, I mean, it's a great shot, low and hard, right into the corner. He didn't miss. But one, who is responsible for that? Is it the players? Is it the referee? Is it people coaching? They have to go nuts and be like, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? This is not where it's supposed to be. Uh, I don't think there's any way the ref could have seen it, really, because Tony moved the spray, which is incredible. Uh, he grabbed like a little piece of foam and dragged it. Um, I guess it's it's silly spray. I don't even know what the foam is. It's like shaving cream. Um and it was an incredible moment. A lot of, a lot of hang ringing, like hey, that's cheating, that's cheating. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was so clever. I love it. I love anything it takes to win. Uh, there are, you know, there's ways of cheating and there's ways of cheating, right? There's are you diving and throwing yourself on the ground and rolling around, or are you taking a knock and falling appropriately? Are you wrapping a guy's arm in your shoulder and pulling him? Is, are you doing that? Are you getting a little shirt? Like the dark arts, shithousery, skullduggery, all that stuff is just, I love it. I love it. I mean, as long as you're still playing and still doing amazing things, you don't want your whole team like that. Like I don't want to be Atleti de Madrid, which is just, ugh, just sometimes disgusting. But, you know, I can respect if you're doing it to get a goal and to get a win. So really cool for Ivan Tony to get that one. Then on the set piece, Ben Mee flies in, loses his marker, fires that in. Chris Wood, also a nice goal on a cross, coming across on the move, a really good professional striker, kind of player that actually, frankly, maybe Newcastle are missing. They could have used him just to change things up. Anyway, Chris Wood's a nice professional goal scorer. He'll get you 10. He'll get you 10 off the bench. He'll get you 10 if he's playing every minute. The problem is he'll only get you 10. So he's a 10 goal scorer. And then Neil Mope doing a shot and a turn that he tries at least every other game, but it fires into the stands. This time it finally went in. Neil Mope, the worst finisher of any striker I've ever seen. Um, he still 
has the record for he's the guy who definitely try and do terrible things to your wife when you're not looking, but he also will score a really good goal. Uh, a funny little player, really cool on socials. He there's a picture of him. Apparently, Brentford has a an official fan club of Down syndrome players, which is heartwarming. <laughs> Odd, but amazing at the same time. And Neil Mope did go visit that team, and he did say hello to those players who were at the team. So really cool by Brentford, really cool by Neil Mope, who gets involved with that. So that's fantastic. But he does get the goal, and Brentford get the three points. They needed it badly. So they had been on a five-game slide, um, just really struggling, struggling to get the games over the line because they had lost their entire strike force. They're hit hard by the African Cup with Wisa and Mimbuemo out and Diacate and all sorts of players. Same with same with Forrest, missing a lot of players to these um, cup games. But what I really want to call out is this young man, these two right here, this guy right here. Jensen is, Mateus Jensen is a fantastic player. Look how handsome he is. A Dane. He's just an amazing player, an unsung player between he and Norgard, who I think is the other one who I think is missing, but they have a midfield that you need in the Premier League to win. Um, they are the unsung players. They knit things together. They make sure that the ball moves quickly so that teams can't get set in defense. They press. They do all these things that when they are the players that if you're a fan of that team, you notice. Look, he's even there on the battle. That's my guy, right? Actually, that's Collins. But um, really, really good player. Also, Ben Mee. There's just so many good players going through the division right now. I think it'd be a shame to not call out how many great players there are on these teams. Like Ethan Pennick, great defender. Fantastic. Any t If your team signs Ethan Pennick, you are in good shape. Or Lewis Potter, played striker, plays fullback, plays, plays um, wingback. Great player. These are players that are out there. Ryan Yates, I think about every time I watch Forrest. I'm just like, does do Forrest fans know they have a warrior, a guy who fight to the death, uh, a gawky kind of uh, uh, Robert Mueller, uh, not Robert Mueller, um, Thomas Mueller type who looks like a dork and a weirdo, but he puts his face on the ball and doesn't care, uh, the life or death. Ryan Yates just bleeds the Forrest green. I love him. Uh, Mangala, Muriello. These players are just fantastic. Dominguez was fantastic yesterday. Just so many good players. Always worth looking at other teams, giving them the respect they deserve because, you know, we watch all the top teams. We watch all the top clubs all the time. And I really like to make sure that you pay attention to lower league players because they may end up on your team. And when they do end up on your team, you got to be like, yes, I got a good player. Thank God because we really needed him on the side tonight so just a fantastic fantastic really good game very exciting especially the last few minutes and we'll keep going on the themes of sort of crap teams playing crap games against crap opponents Brereton Diaz if you don't know I have a secret love for the championship and I knew about Ben Brereton Diaz from his days when he was at um oh god Black, Blackburn Blackburn Rovers. He's a young striker, young winger striker type, and had a breakout season two seasons ago when he scored 23 goals for Blackburn, and he was only 21, and I was like, he's a guy, he's a guy, 
He's a guy. He follows that season up with a 14-goal season, and you think he's going to get a move to the Premier League. He moves to Villarreal. It doesn't really work for him in Spain. Uh, he does have a funny story. So Ben Brereton Diaz, the Diaz is a recent addition. He plays on a national team for Chile because someone in Chile discovered that he has Chilean roots and is eligible to play for Chile based on playing football manager. They contact him and bring him in. All of a sudden, he's an international for Chile playing in common ball. He would have never played for the English national team. He would have never been at that level. Look up the story. I may have the facts wrong, but I figured print the legend. I don't need it to be perfect. The narrative is this is a working class guy from England. He has a grandparent from Chile. Maybe they're a Nazi. I don't know. Let's make him a Nazi who came, ran away to England. And now he plays for Chile on their national team who are trying to get past the Sanchez group. And they're still sort of struggling. But Brereton Diaz gets his first goal. A striker's goal. He's, he's dropping in, trying to get the ball. Then the ball gets played in as a shot. And on a rebound, he's the one moving, getting it in there and getting it in. Then the forgotten Maxwell Cornet had put West Ham up uh, on a nice finish on the back post. Uh, then it, then the game sort of just stayed at 1-1. You felt stalemate-y. Uh, then our guy who had a great game, uh, an all-time great crap player, Danny Ings, whose knees are so shot. All you have to do is watch Danny Ings on the ball when he runs, and you're like, oh, God, his knees are so messed up. He moves very upright. He runs the way I would run if I had ever become a footballer. He's got all sorts of balling here. He's 32. He looks like he's 42. He's in the Stephen Fletcher school of striker, the half-balled, swirly-haired strikers uh, in the um, uh, in the traditional English mold. But he draws the penalty after ball after ball that he's held up he gets into the box james ward prowse finishes it and it looks like the great and powerful west ham will see this game out by the way sheffield united were really really good in this game um you know this is classic west ham they get their goals and they sit on them but i thought west ham played a lot of really good stuff and i'm going to call out my favorite player in this game i mean 21 shots 58 percent possession that's west ham I mean, that's that's the last place team in the division against the top six level West Ham. So just to give you a sense of who's bossing this game, this was all about Sheffield United trying to get this game. And they get their Druss rewards on a late, late, late penalty. The latest penalty in Premier League history. Um, uh, Areola comes out, punches McBurney in the face. Uh, the penalty's called. They take it. It's after Kufal gets two quick yellows on a fight. It's all going on. It's all kicking off. It's a real mess. Rian Brewster famously cost 21 million pounds when Sheffield bought him from Liverpool. One of the great heists in Premier League history. It's why you develop players and send them on loan so that you can rip off poor teams on the way up. Anyway, McBurney finishes it, but not so fast. There's a final shout in this game for a late penalty where Jared Bowen is... Pulled down, for sure, 100%. Uh, it's not called, uh, I believe it's, uh, how do I pronounce this? Ahmed Hodvich, Hodzvich, Ahmed Hodzic, Ahmed Hodzic pulls down, <laughs> pulls down Bowen, and it could have been called. It should have been called, but I think the ref got scared to call another penalty after there had been two. He didn't want to be a three-penalty guy. This is what refs do. They're not incompetent. They're afraid. They're, it's behavioral therapy. It's behavioral. 
they, they're afraid on the road to give a call like that to lose the home team a game. That's exactly what it is. By the way, that final penalty, Fabianski came on, who's like one of the all-time savers of saves, uh, savers of penalties in Premier League history. He came on because Ariola had busted up his face on the on the penalty. Amazing stuff. The last 20 minutes of the 15 minutes of this game are bonkers. Guys getting sent off, uh, but a really really fun game, a really really exciting game. And the man I want to call out, James McAtee. What a little player. Look at him in his city shirt. Ah, oh, look at him. Look at him. He's beautiful. He was great in this game. He's a Phil Foden type. A get on the ball, quick feet, linking things together, making passes you don't expect. Anything good that was a forward pass that happened for Sheffield United was because of James McAtee. Incredible player, having a good season. Chris Wilder, I think, sees the value in him. Chris Wilder sees that he's going to be the creative spark. Maybe he's not the greatest worker, but City have a player on their hands in Chris Wilder. Whether he plays for City or not, I assume he won't, but he's at least a 40,000, 40, between 20 and $40 million player that will go into City's books. And then you'll wonder how City have money to avoid FFP and FPPPS and all the bullshit that goes on. It's because they are generating players. And when you sell your own homegrown players, those go directly to the bottom line versus any other type of sale where you have to amortize the value. So that's my player to watch. If your team signs James McAtee, be very, very happy. He's really, really good. The other player that's really good on this team is Venetia Sousa. Really, really strong um, central midfield player, a destroyer, a a battler, a guy who who will fight. Uh, if your team is looking for a six, you could do worse than Venetia Sousa. He is a really good player that I think folks should have a look at. I'm just going to go a little bit deeper. Just want to see where he was playing. Yeah, just, you know, a battler, young, only, only 24, had just in his first few seasons in the top flight leagues here. So um, this is out of out of Brazil. Espanol, I think they went down last season and now having his first season at Sheffield United. A winner of the Libertadores. I mean, that's a top, top level player, whether he played. No, he didn't play that much. Anyway, uh, he was on the team, saw, saw things going on. A good player worth checking out. Not a scorer, but a fighter, defensive midfielder, a shield Guys to keep in mind, guys to keep in mind. This is why you watch lower league football because the players that are going to be on your team are playing already. <laughs> You've got to be aware. This guy, Brereton Diaz, if your team signs him, that's good. James Ward-Prowse, if you didn't watch Southampton, you never knew James Ward-Prowse was a legend. That guy's a fucking legend. He's fantastic. Uh, so there's just guys. McAtee, keep your eye on McAtee. Great, great player, fantastic player, knows what he's doing, and where he is. Okay, now, let us go to the great and powerful Premier League table and see where we are at this point. So we have gone through, nearly everyone's got their 21 games. So we are, this does not reduce, does it? No, we're 21 38ths through the season, uh, and we have the great and powerful Liverpool on 48, unbeaten in five, only the one loss. Can you imagine if they didn't have that Spurs loss? 
we'd really be talking about an all-time great team, even though they're not an all-time great team. I'll never understand how football works. Anyway, um, they're be- they have the best defense in the division. They're on a good streak here. Those two draws hurt them, uh, I'd say. They probably don't feel good about them. And then City on their tail. This is how life is. Uh, City have the game in hand. They will pick it up. I believe it's, is it against Burnley? I can't remember who it's against. Uh, but they will pick it up eventually. So potentially City are just two points behind if they get if we assume that they get their win. Arsenal pull level with a game behind, coming off that bumpy streak that they had there. Uh, Villa stay in fourth after their draw with Everton this match week, along with Tottenham having drawn with Manchester United. But still hanging in there, doing well, feeling good. Now, this is where it gets weird. I feel like this top five is pretty locked in because you can see, you know, the next group starts at 35. So there's a gap. The top five are there. Uh, I think that these three will flip-flop as we go through the season. And I think Liverpool and City will pull away. Uh, I think you can see here what's the weakness of Arsenal. Their scoring is dropped. They're the second best defense, but they're not able to catch up those five goals that's a huge difference. Every goal and a half is probably a win for them. So that's where they are in terms of their goal scoring. They need someone to pick that up. Everyone's really close. I don't think there's an outstanding team this year so far. We just assume that City will pick up and take off. Then we go into this second group of West Ham, United, and Brighton. Um, West Ham do have a three-point lead, but I could see... I can't believe that Chelsea are here. Uh, I could see Chelsea improving as the season goes on. We can see that they're on four out of five. Bad performances, but getting wins. Bad performances, but getting wins. United, this minus five is just a glaring number. They're not in the class of the teams around them. They have the results. I completely understand. It's there. It happened. That's fine. But if you had said to me that they were going to have 24 goals, which is just over a goal a game, you wouldn't expect this team to be here. So they have been... The All the conversation we've had about United is accurate. This team is in seventh, but playing more like a team in 11th, if you want to, if you want to go that way. So uh, I think that there's a battle here between West Ham, Brighton, and United with Chelsea in there. I think the class of Chelsea, we're going to trust the process. We're going to trust um, Cole Palmer. We'll get them into the sixth range, and I would expect West Ham to slide down just because... They just don't have the talent. And then we don't know what's going to happen with Brighton. They're kind of a wild card, even though they have that plus five. Um, Our friends at Newcastle, I mean, this is really bad. They have been losing a lot. Uh, They're sort of similar to United in that, except they're the opposite. They have really good result, really good play, but not results uh, and all these losses, but no draws. Last season, they had a lot of draws. They're losing those draws. Last year, I talked about, hey, what if Newcastle could convert their draws? In this case, those draws got converted to losses versus wins. So it's kind of a funny thing that's happened here. They've played well, but lost games that last season they might have drawn. So their defense has weakened quite a bit. They were one of the top defenses in the league last year, but they're having a hard time with clean sheets and with stopping anyone. Wolves play on Monday against Brighton. That's actually a really, really good game. Two high-quality teams, two teams that are unbeaten in their last three. Wolves have really good wins. Uh, No Huang, but we do give a lot of shout to Mr. Cunha, who's a fantastic, fantastic player. Uh, Really like Wolves 
as a group. Gary O'Neill, one of my favorite English managers. Then we go into this other group here. There's a little bit of a gap again with Bournemouth and Fulham and Brentford. Um, these three teams, I think, are quite good as a group. Um, I think that Fulham probably, I mean, just by the numbers, are, are the weakest of the group, whereas I think Bournemouth's losses all come pretty early in the year. Uh, they, they were winless in their first nine, so they really pulled that back. So I think that their quality is actually higher than what their underlying numbers are. They've given up a lot of goals, and I expect them to clean that up. Uh, and then I think that this group is all together. Uh, and then I think the relegation group, Palace are on the schneid, but the relegation group is this group, even though uh, Everton do have a 10-point deduction, a much better team than what we've seen. I mean, look at the goals against. Last season, they were shipping goals. They're still not scoring. Their scoring is in with their sort of neighborhood, 22 to 25 goals, but their defense has improved tremendously. Braithwaite, Tarkovsky, you're not giving up goals. Those guys are too good to be that bad. Um, I could see Brentford getting out of this. Like I said, Palace is the tricky one here. What are Palace going to do? Does Roy get fired? How do they get out? They're better than this. And then with Nuno, Forrest have a have a spark, but um, I'm not sure. We could just end up with this group. We could end up with Luton, Burnley, and United. Uh, I, that is distinctly possible. I think the only one right now that can get out of it is Luton. There's nothing from Burnley and nothing from Sheffield that says they're going to go on a run to get out of this division. But again, in the relegation zone, you're two wins away usually from being out of it. So if all of a sudden Sheffield were on 16, they'd be right there with Luton. If if Burnley were all of a sudden on 17, they'd be out of the relegation zone. So two wins in a row is really what you want to see out of this group. See, that's why like Luton got into good shape. They got two wins in a row. It's when you get those two wins in a row. We were worried for Forrest. They got two wins in a row. You can see it. Like Once you get those two, it really can vault you up the table. And so we'll keep an eye on that relegation battle as we go through the season. And let me tell you right now, I am so happy to have done this episode of the Squeaky Bum Time podcast because I feel good. <laughs> uh, it's not died. Uh, I want you to like and share to su subscribe to the show. I hope that you like this show. I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, I'll see you on Monday. I'll see you tomorrow with Chris. Where we'll go through more of it. We'll get a bit more salacious because Chris is a is a is a troll merchant and a take merchant. He tries to drag the takes out of me. Uh, we talked about FFP last week. Uh, there's a video on the channel about that. I loathe FFP. I find it to be despicable. I think that it's regulatory capture. I think it's ridiculous to punish teams that are having a hard time. I think what makes the Premier League what it is is its unfettered for lack of a better word, I'm going to use political economic terms. It's unfettered capitalism is what makes it work. It's investment. It's all the money that's in the league, and then we distribute it evenly based on how well the league works. So you invest, 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 and then there's a level playing field that everyone internationally gets the same amount of money. Then where you finish in the league, you get a certain amount of money, and that's how we roll. And then all the other money you make is yours. So the TV is given out egalitarian. The money you pump in, let's just do it. And maybe England, maybe England, you shouldn't have, mind you, England is 48 million people and one of the declining economies of Europe. Maybe there doesn't need to be 
over 100 professional teams. Maybe. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe don't have a pyramid with four levels. Maybe just have two. Maybe if if the EFL was just League 1 and League 2 and you could d- distribute the money that way, you'd be in better shape. Can I say that? Is that allowed? Is that too much? I'm just saying, England. I'm just saying. I love you. I love what British football has given me. I love what English football has done. But there are reforms that have been made before we stop teams from investing just because you don't want teams to go out of business. Let them go out of business. Good. At least they'll find, they'll just go down. They'll go allow and find a level. They won't disappear. Well, maybe they'll disappear. But we find a way. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. It was such a joy to give you this episode. Uh, I'm really happy about it. Um, okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. I am Laurent Cortines. We are the Premier League wing of the Football Tonight podcast and YouTube channel and presented exclusively for you on Sundays. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. Uh, I will try and keep the thing going. We're going to keep it going. We're going to keep the dream alive. Squeaky Bum Time out.